Uh, last lesson we left off with that I brought to you, Jesus was, we're in Matthew 14, by the way, if you haven't been with us, I'm doing a lesson in faith and just going probably verse by verse through uh, this entire chapter. But where we left off last week was with Jesus feeding the 5,000 and we learned that unless we have faith, all we will ever have is, if anybody remembers, five loaves and two fish. If all we ever do is walk by sight and not by faith, then the only thing we will ever have is what we see and not what we need. And I don't know about you, but there's some things that I need, and the only way that I will ever have them come into my life is through this exercise of faith or the seed of faith, church, because the reality is faith is the substance or the the makeup or the reality of things that are hoped for, And it's the evidence of things not seen. Amen? You see, remember Jesus asked the disciples to feed the people themselves, but they replied, all we have is five loaves and two fish. And like we learned, that's all that they had because they didn't have faith. And it's all we will ever have without faith as well. But what we also learned is that when we sow the seed of faith into any area of our life, It has the power to bring forth whatever harvest we might have need of. So in other words, if you're sick in body, if you sow the seed of faith into your sickness, it has the power to bring forth the harvest of healing. If you need blessings in any area of your life or you need peace in any area of your life, if you're just willing and capable to sow that seed of faith into that area of your life, Faith has the power to bring forth whatever harvest you might have need of. If you have a troubled marriage, sow the seed of faith and it'll become untroubled. If you have a a rocky uh, relationship with someone, understand what I'm saying, just sow the seed of faith and it has the power to bring forth whatever harvest we need. The seed of faith has the, 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 the power to bring forth the substance of what we hope for And it has the power to bring forth the evidence of things that we might not see. Because the reality is there's times in your life when you'll find yourselves in situations, and it's what we're going to look at a little bit tonight, where you just can't see what you need to see. But if you would sow the seed of faith, it brings into reality those things that you might not be able to see. Lastly, we learned last week that because Jesus had faith, remember the disciples at that point in their Christian walk, they didn't have the faith to feed the people themselves, so Jesus had to feed the people himself. And what we discovered last week was that when Jesus fed the people with his faith, all of them were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied, the Bible says, all 5,000 of them. And the reality was there were 12 baskets left over because that's the power of faith. So the question that we have tonight before I go to prayer is how many want a 12 basket full kind of life rather than a five fish and two light, uh, uh, loaf uh, life? I don't know about you, but I want a 12 basket full life. Amen. But in order for that to happen, I need to learn the lesson of faith. And you do, too. So that's what I'm premise. Like I said, tonight, I want to pick up at verse 22 in Matthew chapter 14, if you're not there, and it says this. Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, tormented by the waves because the wind was against it. And I'll stop right there just to let you know that how many of you know that whenever you step out to do something for God, whenever you step out to obey the Lord, no matter how big or small it might be, and we're going to look at how small this particular command was, but anytime we step out to obey God, Anytime we step out to do something for God or or obey the voice of God, the devil will do everything that he can to stand in the way. 
The devil will do everything that he can to stir up a storm in your life in order to keep you from doing the will of the Father. But ultimately, it's in order to keep you from getting to the other side. And I'm not just talking the other side of the sea. I'm talking about either the other side of your difficulty or the other side of your day, or, but uh, eternally the other side of life. You see, the devil's number one goal is to keep you from glory. The devil's number one goal is to keep you from reaching the shores of heaven. So he'll do everything he can in this life to to stir up a storm in your life, to try to topple your boat and try to keep you from getting or going where God wants you to go. And we just need to be mindful of that. And I'll touch on that again a little bit later. But the first thing that I really want us to see in this verse is that at the beginning of this verse, Jesus asked his disciples to do something. He commanded them, or ordered them actually, if you study the Greek and the Hebrew, you look at it, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. In the Greek and the Hebrew, it was actually a command. He ordered them to go to the other side. And and what I want us to realize about this is that it was not an ordinary request, or an extraordinary request that Jesus was making. Jesus didn't ask them to do something in this command or this verse that they hadn't already done before. It was a simple command. The command was to get into the boat and go to the other side of head, uh, to go to the other side of the lake ahead of him. This is something that they did every day. That's why I said this was not an extraordinary command that Jesus was making to his disciples. Getting in the boat and going to the other side of the sea was something they did every day. It was second nature to them. So when God asked them to do it, okay. And the reality is there will be simple commands and simple things that God asks us to do in life. We, maybe things that we think we can do with our eyes closed. And, and, and sometimes, unfortunately, we think we can even do these things without God because we've done them so many times. So what I want us to realize is that this command was not an extraordinary command that Jesus was making. It was an ordinary command, something that they were accustomed to doing, unlike when Jesus said, feed them yourselves, when they were standing in front of five to 15,000 people. This command was an easy command. Okay, I'll get in the boat. Okay, I'll go to church. Okay, I'll do this. Okay, I'll do that simple thing. But what we have to realize is that sometimes God issues simple commands, but other times he issues difficult commands. It's easy for us to follow the simple command, amen? But it's more difficult for us to follow the uncommon command. The simple command, like I said, was to go get in the boat and go across the sea. Unlike the command that he gave them when they were standing in a desolate place and he looked at them and said, feed these people yourselves. That was an uncommon command. It was uncomfortable for them because they had never done it before. It was uncomfortable for them because it wasn't something they did every day. But I'm making this point because sometimes God will ask you to do the simple thing. But in our life's process of spiritual maturity and growth, and in order to develop the faith that we need to have to get to the other side, sometimes he will ask us to do difficult things. Sometimes he will bring us into difficult situations or difficult circumstances, all in order to teach us the lesson of faith. But all he asked them to do at this point was to get into the boat and go across to the other side of the sea. The simple thing was crossing the lake. Like I said, because the disciples did it every day, the simple thing is the routine thing. It's the familiar thing and it's the the common thing. But what we have to remember is that Jesus didn't call these disciples just to do the simple thing. Jesus never rounded up 12 disciples just to do the common thing. He didn't approach them on the Sea of Galilee and say, lay down your nets and follow me, just so they could do the common thing and just so they could do the easy thing. What you and I have to remember is that Jesus called 12 disciples to lay down their nets and follow him so that they could lay hands on the sick and watch them recover, so that they could open up the eyes of the blind, so that they could raise the dead, so that they could cast out demons, so that they could set the captives free. That's why he called them. He didn't call them them to do the simple thing. He called them to do the difficult thing. But in order for them to learn to do the difficult thing, 
they had to first do the simple thing. You see, the reality is there's a lot of you want God to use you to do big things, and you still can't do the little thing. There's a whole lot of you who want to have a great big thing for God going on, but when He's asked you to do the little thing, you can't even handle that. So what we've learned in the past is that if we can't be faithful in the little, He's not going to make us ruler over much. If you want to do a big thing for God, do the little thing for God. When He tells you to get in the boat, get in the boat. When He tells you to go to the other side, go to the other side. And when He tells you what to do when you get there, then do that too. Because every time God asks us to do something big or little, whenever we do it, He'll trust us with something more. And all through this process, what Jesus is trying to teach them every time he asks them something is the lesson of faith. Every time Jesus asks you or me to do something, he's got one thing on his mind, maturing us. He's got one thing on his his mind, helping us to learn this lesson of faith, because without faith... It's impossible to please the Lord. I don't care how many times you come to church. I don't care how many songs you sing. I don't care how many times you say amen. I don't care how many verses you know by heart. If you don't have faith, you can't please God. Because if you don't have faith, you can't do anything supernatural. If you don't have faith, you can't do anything extraordinary. If you don't have faith, you can't do anything uncommon. All you can do is the common thing. All you can do is the natural thing. All you can do is the ordinary thing. But the reality is, just like with the disciples, God didn't call you or me to do the comfortable thing. He didn't call us to do the easy thing. He didn't call us to do the common or the, or the, the, the normal thing. He called us to do the same thing that He called the disciples to do. Jesus actually said, the things I do, you will do even greater things. But you'll never do them without faith. And this is why we have to learn the listen of faith. The lesson of faith. Because if we don't, all we will ever be and all we will ever do is the common. All we will ever do is the natural. All we will ever do is the normal. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to just be a common Christian. I don't want to just be a common preacher. I don't want to just be a common father. I don't want to just be a a common husband. I want to be uncommon, but listen to me. The only way I will ever be that is if I learn the lesson of faith in every area of my life. Because to do the extraordinary, to do the uncommon, you have to understand what faith is all about. And it has to be operating in your life. He didn't call us just to cross the lake. He called us to make a difference when we get to the other side. Listen, Jesus didn't just want the disciples to go across the lake so that they could cruise the the lake. He had a plan for them when they got to the other side. He doesn't want you just cruising into church to come to church, although that's the way a lot of people go, okay, I'll go to church today. God doesn't want you coming to church just to come to church. Okay, I've done that now. He brings you to church so that you can do something when you leave church. He brings you to church so that He can sow something into your life and build you up spiritually so that when you leave church, you got something going on for the kingdom of God. So that you can be uncommon. So you can be extraordinary. So you can be different, church. This is exactly why we need to learn the lesson of faith. He didn't just want the disciples, or He didn't just call us to cross the lake and the disciples to cross the lake just for the fun of it. It's so that they could do something incredible when they got to the other side. And listen to me, it's the number one reason why the devil will stir up a storm. Because he doesn't want you doing anything incredible. He doesn't want you doing anything extraordinary. Because he knows that if you're full of faith, and he knows if you're full of the Spirit, when you step out of the boat on the other side of the sea, something supernatural is about to take place. And that's the last thing he wants. Why? Because that's his turf and that's his territory. And he doesn't want light shining in the darkness. He doesn't want the sick being healed. He doesn't want the captives being set free. He doesn't want blind eyes being opened. He doesn't want the weak being made strong. He doesn't want the hopeless to have hope. And he doesn't want the sinner to find forgiveness. That's why he'll do all that he can to keep you from getting to the other side of the sea. 
Because he knows God's got a plan for you and me when we get there. But so many of us, we think our whole Christian life is just some kind of comfy cruise that we can go on. I'm just, I'm, I'm aboard, God, yeah, I'm aboard. And we just stay on the boat and we never get off to do something incredible for God. But this is why we're learning the lesson of faith so that when we get to the other side, we can do something incredible, church. He didn't call us to just cross the lake. He wanted us to make a difference when we got to the other side. He called us to be salt. He called us to be light. He called us to go into the highways and the byways of life to compel them to come in church. He called us to do incredible things for the kingdom of God. But the sad reality is far too many Christians only want to do the easy thing. They only want to do the common thing. They only want to do the, the comfortable thing, the thing that doesn't require much and the, the thing that doesn't cost much. They, they only want to do the things they can do with their eyes closed, the things they do every day. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story, and it's certainly not to brag on me, but I'm, I'm going to give you this example. You never hear me talk about myself hardly ever. But I remember when first God first got a hold of me. I was out playing, if you don't know what chip and putt is, chip and putt is like this, this a little miniature 18-hole golf course. You just get a putter and you just get a chipper. That's what we call it up north, chip and putt. And you, we're playing that game, and I went to get my putter, and I went, and God was doing an incredible work in my life at this point. And someone told me, you need to be prepared to do something incredible for God. You know, when you get saved, you've got to be prepared to do something incredible for God. That's what my youth pastor told me. And out of the blue, here we are at the golfing place, and I got a little putter in my hand, and I got a little chipper in my hand, and I'm walking past in the middle of this uh, little putt-putt area. There's this big outdoor fountain, and I got my putter in my hand and a chipper in my hand, and God speaks to me and says, get up and preach. He wanted me to stand up right on that little fountain in the middle of, in the, middle of the putt-putt and say, preach. And guess what? My heart dropped. No, you can't be asking me to do that, God. No, you can't be asking to do... And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, if you want to be incredible, you've got to do the incredible. You've got to do the uncommon thing. And I stuttered through it and I fumbled through it, but, but I started preaching some of the gospel to the people that were... I didn't get up there and say, let me have your attention, everybody. But everybody that came by, I used what little faith that I could and I began to preach the gospel to them. And, and I don't know whatever happened to their life, but that's not the point. The point was that God will bring us to places in our life where He asks us to do the uncommon so that the uncommon can happen, so that something powerful and something supernatural can happen. And I really believe this. All this day, He takes me back to that. If I would have never done that, if I would have never done that, I would not be here tonight. If I would have never stepped out in that moment, because if you knew me and everybody knew me, when I was in high school, I was just out of high school. You asked me to give an oral report even in high school, I'd get sick to my stomach. I couldn't stand in front of anybody. And that was where the thing changed in my life. I overcame the fear by faith, and I just stepped out and did what God asked me to do. And he's done some incredible things in my life just because he's done that. Again, I don't say that to brag on me. I say that to brag on God. And I'm saying that, that he will ask you to do the same exact thing. And when you do, watch where it takes you. It'll take you to places you've never dreamed of being and it'll allow you to do things you've never thought you could do. Here's what we have to understand, though, that far too many Christians only want to do the easy thing. They want to do the, the, the mediocre thing. They want to do that thing that you can do with even, even without praying. You know what I'm talking about. There's some things we can do in our Christian life that we've done so many times, we don't even have to pray about it. We don't even have to strive over it. We don't even have to think twice about it. We do it so many times, we just do it. But that can be dangerous, church. And here's what we find in this passage of Scripture, that even though God asked them to do the very common thing, He wasn't going to let it be a common journey. Even though He asked them to do a common thing, which is just get in the boat and go across the sea, it was not going to be a common journey for them. He wanted to take them past mediocrity, because listen to me, it's where they were. They were still in a place of mediocrity. When they were in the, the, 
the desolate place back in verse 16, I believe it is, when they said, uh, when Jesus asked them to feed the, the, the people themselves, they were in a place of mediocrity. I'm not saying that to be mean or harsh or critical, because we all in our journey of life will find ourselves in a place of mediocrity. But they were in a place of mediocrity, and it's why they said, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. What do you mean feed all these people? They were in a place of mediocrity. And here, in this story as well, they were still in a place of mediocrity. But the reality is, God has not called us to be mediocre, church. And what we have to understand is that no one is ever moved by mediocrity. No one is ever awed by mediocrity. When's the last time you've ever seen anybody awed over something mediocre somebody does? It doesn't happen. Nobody's awed by mediocrity. They're not inspired by mediocrity. They're not motivated by mediocrity. They become as complacent as the mediocre. But what I want us to understand is that in this lesson of faith, God will do whatever He has to do to get us out of mediocrity. And the sad reality is, I'm not saying this to be judgmental, but the house of God is filled with mediocre Christians. The house of God is filled with this wicked spirit of mediocrity, church. And it's why nothing big is happening in the church anymore. It's why miracles aren't taking place. It's why supernatural move of God isn't taking place. Because the house of God is filled with mediocrity. But the reality is the Spirit of God and the the supernatural move of God and the extraordinary things of God don't happen in places of mediocrity. They happen when someone is willing to move past the mediocrity and get out of their comfort zone and get out of that thing that's comfortable for them like like or and get into the uncomfortable like me standing up there on that fountain. Talk about uncomfortable. That was uncomfortable. But that's where God will lead us so that the supernatural can take place. So that things extraordinary can begin to happen in our lives, church. I don't know about you, like I said earlier, but I don't want to be mediocre. I want to be more than common. But the only way that that's going to happen, church, is if I learn this lesson of faith and do whatever I have to to press past all of that thing called mediocrity. So what we have to realize is that everything that God is doing with us, everything that's taking place in Matthew chapter 14 in the lives of the disciples is to press them past this place of mediocrity into the place of the miraculous. And that's honestly where God wants us all to live as born-again believers. He wants us to live... I'm not saying that we walk around all day with our heads so high up in the clouds and so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. I'm not talking about that. You know, that you're walking around hum all day. I'm talking about being in such a place with God. That's what I'm talking about. That He can do incredible things in your life. We have to be willing to press past that. But in chapter 14, that's what the Lord is trying to do. He's trying to get the disciples past their mediocrity, past their immaturity, past their commonness. You understand what I'm saying? Past the natural into a supernatural place and an extraordinary place with God. Immediately, back in verse 22, and we'll read it again. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already considerable distance from the land, tormented by the waves, because the wind was against it. And I'll stop here, and now we'll look at verse 23. If you've not been with me, I'm just trying to touch on every verse as we go through and just try to bring you a truth out of those passages that we can apply to our life and become better Christians. So it says in verse 23, or I want to stop at verse 23 to remind us, like I did in lesson one, if you were here, that all of us have to find alone time with God if we want to fulfill his will. In verse 23, it said, after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And what we have to realize, church, is that if we want to fulfill the will of the Father, we have to find that alone time with the Father. 
if we want to do the extraordinary, if we want to do the incredible, if we want to experience the supernatural in our life, church, we have to find that alone time with God. We have to find that alone time to pray. You see, the person that doesn't prayer can never be more than mediocre. I'm just going to say that. If you don't have a prayer life, you will never be more than a mediocre Christian. Because the power of God and the anointing of God and the supernatural presence of God, all of the, 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 the power of God and the anointing of God, it flows through the spiritual discipline of prayer and our connection with the Father. If you and I are never connected with the Father, how do we expect His power to flow through our life? If you do not have a prayer life, you will never be more than a mediocre Christian. If I don't have a prayer life, I will never be more than a mediocre Christian. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is, do I want to be mediocre or do I want to be miraculous? Do I want to be common or do I want to be uncommon? Do I want to be an ordinary Christian? Do I want to be an extraordinary Christian? If you want to be the latter, you have to have a prayer life. And we all from time to time have to dismiss ourselves from the chaos in order to develop or have our alone time With the Father, church, it's where the power of God comes from. If we want to walk in the supernatural and experience the miraculous, we have to, like Jesus, find that place of prayer. Remember, if you know this passage, if you know this story, which you all should, you know that Jesus was about to do something supernatural, and he was about to do something extraordinary, which was walk on water. Okay, and I'm not going to get too far ahead of it because next week that's what I'm really going to focus on. Jesus and Peter walking on water. But here in this verse, Jesus is about to do something incredible. He's about to do something supernatural. He's about to do something that's never been recorded in Scripture, anyone ever doing. And he wasn't about to do it without prayer. You see, what you have to realize is Jesus knew what he was about to do. He knew that he was about to step out into the supernatural. He knew he was about to step out onto a stormy sea. He knew he was about to have to present himself to the disciples. He knew he was going to have to do something supernatural in the midst of the storm. And he wasn't about to do it without prayer. He wasn't about to step out on a sea without prayer. He wasn't about to speak a word to the disciples without prayer. He wasn't about to do the incredible or the impossible without prayer. And the reality is we have to learn that lesson. We have to learn that before we do anything, we have to pray. Before we do anything, we've got to step out and pray and connect ourselves with the Father, church. The reality is we'll never experience, like I said, the supernatural power of uh, of God without prayer. And Jesus didn't step out into the stormy sea. Look at it in verse 25. And we'll get to that in a minute, but he says he went out to them on the sea, walking on the sea. He went out to them. He didn't do that until he prayed in verse 23. In verse 23, he knew he had to get away and pray if he was to fulfill the will of the Father in verse 25. And yet far too often, that's exactly what we do. We go off without prayer. Step out without prayer. Get into a marriage without prayer. Enter into a relationship without prayer. Take a job without prayer. Have kids without prayer. We step out into the day without prayer. We try to cross the sea without prayer. We, we try to get through marriage without prayer. We try to raise a family without prayer. We make financial decisions without prayer. And then we wonder why those areas of our life sink. We wonder why we face all sorts of trial and trouble and tribulation and can't seem to make our way forward because we've not gone to the Lord in prayer first. But there's a lot of people in the house of God that will send their kids out into a stormy world and into a stormy school system every single day without ever praying for them without ever going to the Father in prayer and praying a hedge of protection and praying safety and praying God's favor and praying God's anointing and praying God's Holy Spirit to cover them and to protect their mind and to protect their body and to protect their heart. We send them out every day without bringing them to the Lord in prayer. We want them to face this wicked, wild world without us ever facing the Father. And God, forgive us when we do that. 
We send them out there into this wicked world and then we wonder why their life is toppled or overturned or capsized by drugs or capsized by alcohol or capsized by pregnancy or capsized by a sexually transmitted disease or capsized by some other addiction or capsized because we've not gone to the Lord in prayer first. We've just pushed them out into the world without ever praying first. We need to pray, church. Jesus was constantly praying for the disciples. He was constantly covering them and soaking them in prayer. And a right Christian will do the same exact thing for themselves, for their family, and for their brothers and sisters in the Lord as well. We have to understand this, church. We try to make it through life without this spiritual discipline of prayer. And then we wonder why we're overtaken by a storm. Because we're not practicing the spiritual discipline of prayer. And I'm not talking about five minutes before service and five minutes after service. I'm not talking about God is great, God is good, let us thank Him for the food. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep, which is great for a little kid, but it's not good for a mature saint. We try to go through day with nursery rhyme prayers. We try to face the devil and face the storm and face the torment. Read this passage of Scripture. The Bible says the boat was tormented by the waves. And when you look at the Greek and you look at the Hebrew, the word torment meant the onslaught of hell or the fury of hell. When they describe the torment of hell, they use the same exact word that that Matthew used in this passage of Scripture referring to the boat being tormented, church. And the reality is, listen, so often we go out into this world and we face the torment of this devil that tries to set itself against us and we will never survive without prayer. We'll never survive without prayer. This world will do all that it can to torment you. The devil will do everything that he can to torment you. And he'll do it every day. Torment your kids. Torment your mind. Torment your marriage. Torment your body. He'll do all that he can. And the only way we'll ever be able to survive, church, is if we do what Jesus did and get alone and pray. We have to pray, amen, if we want things incredible to happen. In verse 25, we keep moving on, it says that Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. And again, I'm going to stop and say this. I'm still focusing on this prayer thing. It says, Jesus went out to them walking on the sea. And if we study farther, which we will, he's going out there to help him. He's going out there to reveal himself to them. He's going out there to speak a word, which he will. And we'll get to that in just a moment. He went out to speak a word. He went out to help. He went out to rescue. He went out to show himself mighty in all reality is what it means. And we'll get to that later on. But Jesus went out to help them walking on the sea. And I stopped to say this. Please don't try to help anyone in their storm unless you've prayed to the Father first. Don't ever try to help anyone in the midst of a storm unless you've gone to the Father first. For two reasons. If you don't pray and you try to help someone in your own strength, you're just going to add to their storm and you're going to add to their struggle. And the reality is if you're not prayed up, you're going to get swallowed up as well. If you're not prayed up trying to help someone else struggling in their storm, you're going to get swallowed up in their storm. Please do not try to help anyone struggling in their storm unless you've gone to the Father first. Unless you've stayed up at night like he did. Jesus stayed up praying all night before he walked out on a stormy sea. Jesus spent time with the Father all night before he stepped out and spoke a word to the the disciples and tried to help them in their time of need. And my point is simply this. Don't try to help someone in a storm unless you've gone to the Father first. Don't try to face the enemy unless you first face the Father. You can't face the enemy unless you first face the Father and expect to come away successful and expect to come away victorious. Don't open your mouth and speak a word into a storm unless you first opened your mouth to the Father. But we like to do that. We want to speak into everybody's storm. And I don't mean to be unkind here, but I know a lot of people that like to speak a word to man that don't ever speak to the Father. 
They like to speak a word to Janie, Je- you know, Janie Sue and Billy Bob and whoever else. They want to speak a word to man. But I don't know when the last time is they spoke a word to God. They want to speak a word to everyone around them. But I don't know the last time they heard the word of God themselves or listened to the word of God. I don't mean to be unkind. Again, I'm just saying this. I'm very protective of myself when it comes to allowing people to speak into my life. Unless you've spoken to the Father, don't speak a word into my life. Because most likely it's going to be flesh and most likely it's going to be a lie. And most likely it's just going to add to my struggle and add to my storm. Don't come speak a, thus saith the Lord to me, unless you've spoken to the Father first. And don't do it to me and don't do it to your brothers and sisters. And don't do it to the house of God. Because you'll sink them and you'll sink yourselves. Listen, a lifeguard that's not prepared to swim against the waves can't, do those, can't help those that are in need. Can't help them. And the reality is, anyone that tries to do so risks the survival of the one that's in need. You risk speaking the wrong word and then doing the wrong thing and hearing the wrong thing. If you've not heard from God and gotten with God, don't speak into someone else's storm. Because you don't know the word you speak and the thing that you do could capsize them. So be careful what you speak. Be careful what you say. If Jesus had to do it, how much more do we have to do it? He didn't speak peace into their life. He didn't tell them to take courage. He didn't tell them to not worry. He didn't tell them to not be afraid. He didn't reveal himself to them in the midst of their storm until after he prayed. Now, we've got to do the same thing, church. Just We've got to pray. That's really the point that I'm trying to make here, that if we want to experience the supernatural, if we want to be more than common, if we want to be more than ordinary, one of the key elements is the spiritual discipline of prayer. Verse 25 says, Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the sea. Mark's account of this event is in chapter 6, verse 48, and it says this. I'm going to start winding this down. It says, From afar off, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, which we've already learned, at about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. And again, I stop to show us this, that no matter where we are, no matter what time it might be, No matter the depths of our despair, no matter the degree of our darkness, no matter the size of our storm, Jesus will always come to us. He came to them in the fourth watch of the night, in the middle of the dark, four miles from shore, the Bible says, he saw them struggling and straining at the oars. That's supernatural. Listen, again, I go back to this prayer thing. Jesus was in prayer with the Father. And it brought him into this supernatural realm where he was able to see in the middle of the dark, four miles away, his disciples struggling in a sea. When you put yourself in the place of prayer, God lets you see things you would never see in the natural. He lets you see your brother that's struggling. He lets you see the person that needs the phone call. He needs you, lets you see the person that needs you to reach out and help them in their time of need. That's the power of getting alone with God. It took him into this supernatural realm where four miles away in the middle of the dark, he saw his disciples struggling against the wind, struggling at the oars, struggling to move forward. He saw the waves crashing against the boat. He saw the desperation that was taking place in their lives. And the Bible says he came to them. Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I serve a Savior that's not afraid of the dark. I'm thankful that I serve a Savior that's not afraid of the storm. And it doesn't matter how dark my darkness might be. If I'm in need, Jesus will come to me. If you're in need, Jesus will come to you. God or the Holy Spirit, they're all the same. Three separate, but they're the same. And they will come to you. 
And I say all that to say this. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know the degree of your darkness. I don't know the depths of your storm. I don't know what you're struggling with. I can't see it. But God does. And He's willing to come to you. He's ready to come to you. He's prayed up and He's prepared to come to you, church. Jesus is interceding for you, the Bible says. All the time. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's calling out your name. He's calling out my name. There they are in a storm. Help them, Father. There they are in a mess. Help them, Father. There they are. They're about to stumble. They're about to be capsized. They're about to be turned over. Help them, Father. That's what Jesus is doing. He's interceding for the saints every single day. And I just want to encourage you that He sees you in your storm. He sees you in the dark. He sees you when no one else can see the turmoil that's going on in your soul. You put on a smile. You put on a suit. You look all like everything's fine, but you've got a storm going on in your heart. Or you've got a storm going on in your marriage. Or you've got a storm going on behind the closed doors of your house, church. Nothing to be ashamed of. But it's something that no one else can see. But God can see it. And we serve a God that will come to us in the midst of our storm, church. He saw them struggling, straining at the oars. For the wind was against them. And He came to them walking on the sea came to them walking on the sea. He was walking on the very thing that was overtaking them. The wind was overtaking them. The waves was overtaking them. The conditions was overtaking them. The darkness was overtaking them. Fear was overtaking them. And here's Jesus. He's just walking on all of it. He was walking on the very thing that was overtaking them. And my point is simply this, because again, remember, we're learning the lesson of faith. When we learn the lesson of faith, we can do the same exact thing. Peter demonstrates it next week. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but Peter did what Jesus did because of faith. It had no control over him until he took his eyes off Jesus. And we'll look at that next week. But here's what I want to close with. If we go back to Matthew chapter 14, verse 26, it says, When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out with fear. But in verse 27, Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. They're in the midst of a panic, in the midst of a storm. They're in the midst of being terrified, the Bible says. I can't imagine it, okay? And I don't want to take a lot of time to do it, but think about what's going on. They're being tormented by a storm that was so supernatural and so uncommon to them. That's all they could focus on. That's all they could worry about. They weren't even thinking about the other side. They were just thinking about staying afloat. They were just thinking about getting through. Ever been there? You've been in such a storm, tormented, turned, turned. All you can think about is just surviving the moment. You can't worry about the other side. You can't think about You can't think about anything else except just surviving at that moment. It's exactly where they were at in the midst of the storm. And then all of a sudden, a ghost shows up. On top of everything that they're going through, a ghost shows up. That's what they thought. It's a ghost. A ghost. Probably screamed like a bunch of high school schoolgirls. It says they cried out in fear, terrified. Ah! And a quick point is that that's what fear and darkness and storm has the ability to do. It has the ability to keep us from recognizing God. It has the ability to keep us from recognizing the one. He, here's the one that just fed 5,000. Here's the one that just did a few other miracles. Here's the one, and I understand it's dark. I'm just trying to teach a point here. And I believe that it's trying to teach us the same thing, that when we allow fear to rise up within us, when we allow fear to captivate us, and we allow fear to terrorize us, it has the ability to keep us from recognizing the presence of God in whatever situation that we're in. But if we have faith, that understands God is with me. If we have faith, God sees me. If we have faith that God understands what I'm going through, 
It has the power to get us through the storm. Amen? To know that He's with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But they, they cry out. They're in a panic. Jesus recognizes it. And what does He say? He says, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. And this is what I'm going to close with. It's with the, the words of Jesus who's offering them hope. He says, Take courage because it's me. Take courage. I don't know what you're going through tonight. I don't know what storm you might be facing. I don't know how hard you've been rowing against the enemy just to try to get through whatever it is you're going through. But whatever it is, Jesus is saying, take courage. I'm here. He's saying, don't be afraid. It's me. It's me. And sometimes God has to do that. and He has to get our attention in the midst of a storm. It's me. It's me. And so this is what we have to learn here, is that Jesus is just offering us hope in the midst of the storm. He's saying, don't be afraid because I'm here. Don't be overtaken by the storm that's raging in your heart because I'm here. You see, and I I, I want to keep teaching because there's so much. But in Matthew chapter 8, we find another story where the disciples were in a storm with Jesus this time in the boat. You remember that? They're in the storm Jesus is in the boat with them. He's sleeping in the back, but they freak out, the Bible says. And they wake him up and they shake him. He's sleeping and they're panicking. Why? Because they were not yet, they did not recognize him there even to be the son of God. They just thought he was a teacher. They just thought he was a rabbi. They didn't recognize him then as God. And it's why they were in a panic. And they didn't recognize him as God here. As a matter of fact, they don't recognize him as God until Matthew chapter 14, verse 33, when it tells us they finally recognize him as God. But two times they're going through a storm. One time God stills the storm that's going going on around them, but here he stills the storm that's going on inside of them. I want you to understand that God has the power to still the storm around you, but he also has the power to still the storm that's going on inside of you. And sometimes God will let the storm rage around you so that you learn how to be still in the midst of the storm so that he can still the storm that's going on in your heart. Because here's the reality. If Jesus always stills the storm around you, you'll never learn how to be still and know that he's God. You see, just like that, Jesus could have said in this occasion, be still, and the sea would have been still. But he didn't do that on this occasion because he needed the disciples to learn that just like he could still the storm that was raging around them, he had the power to still the storm that was going on inside their life. You see, the reality is this world can't still the storm that's raging in the soul. This world can't still the storm that's taking place in your marriage or going on in your mind. It can't still the storm that's taking place in your finances, church. But God can still that storm. There's only one person that can still the storm of the soul. And it's Jesus Christ. It's God. And I say all that and continue in my teaching just for you to understand the fact that just because you're going through a storm doesn't mean God doesn't care. Doesn't mean that God's not capable. He's trying to teach you how to be still in the midst of the storm. And what? And know that He's God. After this, they knew. After the first time, And he stilled the storm. They still didn't know that he was God. But after this one is finished, in verse 33, they all finally know that he's God. And this is what he's trying to teach us, church, through the midst of whatever that we're going through. He's trying to teach us to be still and know that he's God. And the only way we can do that is if we learn the lesson of faith. Amen? How many of you want to learn or know how to be still? And know that he's God. Amen? Stand to your feet because we're going to close and we're going to pray with this. I believe that there's some of us that could use a little comfort tonight. Amen? I believe there's some of us that could use a little stilling of the soul. I've got a ton of stuff on my plate over the last few weeks that has the ability to just stir up my soul in a negative way. But 
I'm telling you that the reason that I'm bringing you this word is because it's the word the Lord has laid on my heart. This is the word that the Lord has laid on my heart as I help to lead the staff as the executive pastor and try to be a support to the pastor. I have to learn better the lesson of faith, knowing that whatever storm we're going through, God's with me. Knowing that whatever storm I'm going through, God sees me. And knowing whatever storm I'm going through, God has the power to rescue me. Amen? Amen. And that even though there might be some things raging around me, I've sown the seed, I've sown the word. God, whatever word's mine, I ask that it would just be washed away. But whatever word is yours that you want to grow in their lives, I pray that you would implant it even now. God, that you would cover it, that you would protect it, so that it might grow, Father God, into a harvest of whatever your people need tonight, God. Some might need healing, I pray that you would give it. Some might need hope, I pray that you would give it. Some might need peace or comfort, I pray that you would give it. Some of them need a miracle in their life, God, and I pray that you would bring forth that miracle through the seed of faith that we have in you, God. We don't trust in man, we trust in you. I thank you that you have the ability to speak to the storm that's raging around us. But tonight we learned that you also have the power to still the storm that's raging inside of us. So no matter what's going on in our lives or around our lives, in our marriage or around our family, God, I thank you that you still have the power to step inside and say, be still. So God, I pray that you would offer comfort to your people this evening, whatever they might be going through whatever storm they might be facing, whatever the depth of their darkness or the degree, Father God, of their despair. I thank you that you're here tonight to say to them, take courage, I'm here. I thank you that you are Jehovah Shammah, the one that's there. There in the darkness, there in the storm, there in the waves, there in the trial, there in the tribulation, there in the furnace, there in the lion's den, there in sickness, wherever we might be, I thank you that you are there as well. So God, I pray that we would use that, Father God, to increase our faith. As we go tonight, God, I pray that you would be a hedge about us, that you would protect us from the onslaught and the torment of the enemy, Father God, And I pray above all of those things that we would be people of prayer. That we don't try to go out into the day or out into the darkness or out into the storm or out into this world, God, or even send our kids out there, God, without first coming to you in prayer. The first thing in the morning, God, help us to call out to you. Before we face the day, let us face you. Before we face work, let us face you. Before we face, Father God, whatever the day might hold, I pray that we would learn to face you so we can be successful and so that we can be more than conquerors through Christ Jesus the Lord. Thank you again for your word. Seal it in our lives. We give the praise and the glory and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Can we bless him for his word tonight, church? We bless him, not me. We'll probably finish up our lesson on faith next week, but... Remember, starting Friday night, 7 o'clock, Perry Stone. We don't need another prophet, even though he's a prophet. We thank God. What we need is the Word of God. Amen? Amen. So don't come expecting man to do something great for you. Come expecting God to do something great for you. Amen? Amen? Be blessed and bless one another as you go. Amen. Speaking to someone else's life? Yes, sir.